Okay. There we go. radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you to today's shows and to our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. And uh, so uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are across the nation. I want to welcome you again to another um, very special episode of Shattered Lives Radio on this Saturday. And uh, we are uh, welcoming back a uh, guest we've had on a couple of times before, but we we have a very, um, shall we say, innovative uh, topic today. And before we uh, welcome her on formally, just want to say uh, hi, Delilah. What's uh, what's going on today? And uh, I hope everything's going well. Yeah, everything is great, Donna. And once again, thanks for uh, putting on this show each week so that listeners can really tune in and learn something. I think that is the key to this show. With with the guests that we bring on, there's so many topics that have so much information, whether it's a personal story or whether it's about an issue um, or whether it's about, um, you know, a, a crime in the aftermath of it, so to speak. So I think this show is... Another exciting week in the archives of Shattered Lives. Um, definitely, and, and thank you for um, thank you for saying that. I try very hard to bring diversity and um, shows that will educate, and I think I think this definitely will. So, without further ado, we have um, Sandy Robinson Hine on with us, and um, she has been on our show before. I think perhaps two or three times I've lost count now, and we maybe have enough shows to do a marathon, as I've said to a former guest, which is always <laughs> popular. Um, Sandy is from the Virginia area, and um, she was a former law enforcement officer, um, and I'm just giving a very brief thumbnail sketch, and if I screw up, she can correct me. But uh, with <laughs> regard to specialties and um sexual assault and domestic violence, and um, my heart is still, we put up her show last night of hostage negotiation um, uh, with with her colleague Derek, and, uh, you know, she's had a, a many and varied career, but my understanding is that at least for the past year, she has delved into uh, teaching, um, teaching students, and I think that is, um, you know, has become a new passion, so She's kind of shift gears, but yet, you know, I believe uh, Sandy still has a hand in um, many of the things that she used to do. So we are going to talk about the topic today of um, of sexual assault, and it's going to be of a um, a, a personal a personal issue, um, and perhaps um, revealing information that people may not have known, and it's something that. I believe everyone will will benefit from as well as Sandy. So, Sandy, good morning, and thank you so much for being on Shattered Life with us again. It's a pleasure. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be back. Well, thank you. Yeah, can you can you uh, if if you kind of switch back in your memory, um, the shows that you were on with us before? Can we just give a little laundry list in case people want to go into the archives? Well, the first that I did was with um, with Derek, and we talked about hostage negotiations and a specific case that we had worked together in Alexandria years ago. 
And then the second I came on and we talked a lot about sexual assault and victimology and dealing with victims of crimes and the court system, I believe. Right, right. And now now this is number three. Yes. Yeah, well, number three is the term. Yep. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think something that, that we shared in God, there's so many things. I was very moved by a personal tale that, and, 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 and not a tale in the sense of, uh, uh, fiction. This is a real life issue. Um, can you just tell us how um, it, a little bit about your your background in terms of your law enforcement and the, the types of cases you, you dealt with, and a little bit about your your personal background in terms of your immediate family and whatnot, so people get a thumbnail sketch. Okay. Um, I grew up here in the Northern Virginia area. And graduated from high school here, went away to college, and had wanted to be a lawyer at first, but then decided that that might be um, a little too much desk time for me, and I I wasn't going to like that. So I moved my focus to law enforcement. And -hmm. when I left college, I went right into the police department in Alexandria. And I was there for 23 years. 19 of those years I spent as a detective. And I started out in the detective unit working in the youth unit, um, dealing with all kinds of stuff to do with kids and and sex and abuse cases also with that. And I got pregnant, had a daughter, and left the sex crimes, youth sex crimes, because it was a bit too much for me with having a baby at home. It hit home a little too much. I did burglary for three years, then I went to sex crimes, and I did adult sex crimes for the last ten or so years that I was there at the police department. And then I injured myself, and they made me medically retire, which is still a bummer when I think about it. But now I'm teaching high school criminal justice, and I'm actually enjoying it. I love my kids, and, um, you know, I have fun doing that. So So, so you're you're still still, uh, working in the criminal justice field, but you're just doing it in a different way. Right, exactly. And exactly. do you feel as if this this really, I mean, because you were, you know, definitely in the trenches all those years, how do you feel about um, working with, with high school kids these, uh, in terms of what you're doing? Do you think that this this is something that is a good way to make it, make a positive impact? Oh, definitely. Um, especially some of the, the students that I deal with don't have a very good view of police officers. And I do feel that after my class, they leave with a little better sense of police officers as people and not just as people, you know, those, those mean guys and gals that pull them over and give them tickets. <laughs> you know, they see them as real people because we are real people. You know, police officers are people too. We have feelings just like everyone else. And I think that gets disregarded a little bit. When people look at the badge, they just see the badge. And that's rough. Right. So, well, you're, Sandy, yeah, what do you really think? What? If maybe you maybe you've addressed this in your class and and with the you know with the the kids that you teach. What can we do to dispel the negativity towards the police department or any police officer? Um, are there specific things that you teach, or and what are the kids grabbing onto? I think it's just because I was in law enforcement, and they I don't think they expect to see me as a person, and when I joke around with them, and you know I laugh or I tell them stories, or I just pretty much ask them, "Hey, how's your day going?" They realize that I'm a person and I care, and I'm not a, any different than I was when I was at the police department. I'm still the same person. It's just that they're seeing me on this different level. And I think if everybody would just step back instead of automatically assuming any interaction you have with the police is going to be negative, you know, just take it at face value. Don't don't assume just because a police officer is walking up to you that's going to be something horrible that's happening. <laughs> I mean, no no one takes the time to think that it might be a positive thing. So I think I have them look at it from that perspective, and it does it does make them think a little differently. Yeah, and that is so valuable because you're up against, look at, you know, all the, the media has really grabbed onto just the plethora of police shootings and, you know, exactly. whether or not the, 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 the police made errors in judgment. And, and they have always done that, but for some reason, you know, it's just come to the fore with some very high-profile cases. And so you're constantly fighting against that. So I applaud you for the bringing humanity into it, I think it's so important. And um, so, you know, with that sort of sort of as a backdrop, um, you know, you shared with me 
something something that's that's very personal. Um, first of all, can, can you tell me that with the car links that you've had um, throughout the years, um, are you do you primarily just sort of talk about the job and the cases, and you don't you don't get too personal with each other, or is it just the opposite? Uh, I think it depends. Um, I think as far as my story and my background, there are only a handful of people at the absolute most that I worked with that knew anything about my history. But I also think that me as a person outside of law enforcement, I didn't share with anybody really (laughs) friends and growing up, and no one really knew. I, I didn't tell a lot of people what my history involved. And so, you know, while we do talk about cases and we do kind of, you know, know each other pretty well personally. I think police officers, I think, keep a lot of things kind of, you know, uh, close to them. They don't let a lot of stuff get out because I think you get judged enough as it is for everything. And so if you put anything out there that somebody can use against you, it it doesn't normally go well. So, you know, I think I've tried to keep it pretty pretty quiet. Right. And is um, is is there some truth in the in – the, um, idea that um, perhaps people go into law enforcement for, I won't say the wrong reasons, but for reasons maybe the public have, has no idea about. Absolutely, and that's one of the things that was in my head when I was thinking you know, this summer when I was talking with you, and, and it really, people don't know what is in a police officer's past. They don't know, well, I mean, even if you, you call a police officer to your house, you don't know what they've dealt with that day, much less years past. But if they have a history of certain things, you know, they're going to understand you better than you think and to automatically assume that they won't causes a problem. And I think my history and things that happened to me in the past kind of prepared me to deal with victims in a positive way. It gave me a, a more personal view of victimology and how or victims empathy. want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And is it with your police training – are you are you um, instructed to to never share something personal, or are are do they use that as a they encourage you and use your own personal experience as a way to build a rapport? I was never really told flat out don't share anything about yourself with people, you know, in a supervisory way where they said don't ever tell anybody this. But you know, I was always cautioned against that because you don't you don't know who you're dealing with. <laughs> and so you don't know how they might be affected by anything that you say. And I, you know, the last thing I want to do is have someone, you know, end up stalking me or something because, <laughs> because I'm giving them personal information and I give them a little too much. And the next thing you know, they want to be my best friend. So they're showing up, you know, here and there, wherever I go. And I don't want that. Right. But yeah, there's a certain, I mean, every time you go on a call as a police officer, you share a little bit of yourself. And even if it's not deeply personal information, you know, you, you you open yourself up a little bit just because the people that you're dealing with, whatever they're going through, you're seeing everything from them right there out in the open. So in order to make them comfortable sometimes, if you add a little personal flair to it, it does make it easier for them. And, okay. um, you know, being that I worked sexual assault cases for so long, I really didn't share personal information when I dealt with my victims, but how I did handle it was... I knew what to say and what not to say because I knew what I wanted to hear and didn't want to hear, if that makes any sense. Right. Well, yeah, you sort of have this filter. Well, so that we can kind of um, bring the curtain back, so to speak, why don't we just sort of let people know what, what we're talking about and then we can right. kind of go over it. Can you tell what what is what is this uh personal tragedy that you dealt with on a long-term basis that that you would like to share with us? What what happened with you? Well, I was sexually abused as a child, and it went on for a long number of years. And I guess I never told anyone growing up. Um, I think the first person that ever knew anything was my high school boyfriend, and he just happened to ask me out of the blue one day, and I didn't even realize that he had seen anything that would give him any indication <laughs> that anything had ever happened with me, and it, it freaked me out. And, you know, after that, I really didn't tell anyone. And I, you know, I basically swore him to secrecy, and I didn't really give him any details or even really confirm anything. I just burst into tears, which I guess was confirmation enough. But 
Um, he never asked me about it again because he realized it upset me. So we just kind of went on <laughs> about our business and let it be. And I went off to college, and in college I found myself um, away from the abuse. And so it was kind of like a, a freeing type of thing because I was out and I was away, and it, it felt good to be not exposed anymore. And I started doing all my projects in school, all my papers I had to write, any research I had to do, I started doing it all around the, the subject of child abuse or child sexual abuse. And it almost became like an obsession. It's, I'm surprised I didn't go to psychology because I, really I thought I was healing myself, if, <laughs> if you can mm -hmm. understand that. <laughs> right. Yeah, so um, I kept up with that. And I think it was my, I guess my third year in school, I was a junior. And we had to do this. I took a sociology of sexuality class, which wasn't the class I wanted to take, but it was the only sociology class that was left, and I needed another one because I minored in sociology. So I went into this class, and it was not what I expected. <laughs> it was a little kind of... What What is that type of class, just so that we know? I mean, what, what's the... It's, uh, it talked about... Oh, I don't even, like, I can't even tell you. It was just, um, I don't even know if it's appropriate for me to say on the show. But was it a all, If you can think of anything sexual, you should, the, the professor pretty much talked about it. So it was kind of like, whoa, oh, what have I gotten myself into kind of thing. Um, huh. But she had us write a paper about our first sexual experience. And when I sat down to write the paper, I thought, okay, uh, there's one of two things I can do here. I can lie and talk about, you know, the first experience I had with my boyfriend or something, or I could be honest. And I wrote the paper uh, with the boyfriend angle in mind. And then mm -hmm. about three days before the class, I thought, you know what? She's doing this anonymously. She gave us numbers. She doesn't know who we are. She just knows whether or not we turned in a paper based on the number we hand in. So, you know, she's, she's not going to know who I am. What? Were these um, read to the class, or was it just something that the teacher Not necessarily read to the class, but I, I mm -hmm. decided to write about my true sexual experiences, and I turned that paper in, and she, the day, uh, I guess the class after when we came back, she was giving feedback to different people on their, on their papers. And she wasn't saying anyone's name, and no one knew who anyone was, but she would say the number that was attached to the paper out loud, and then she would say whatever she had to say about your paper. And when she got to mine... I remember thinking. I remember thinking the whole time. I hope she says something. Give me some idea about what I'm supposed to do with this mess, you know. And so right. she gets to me. She says my number, and then she says, um, "You got to let it go. Forgive and forget." What? And I just remember thinking, yeah, forgive and forget. Really, <laughs> really, that's your advice. Here I am. I've been obsessing about it for three years now, trying to fix myself, and you're telling me forgive and forget. And that just kind of. So well, did you go into spin. the nature of of the the length of the abuse? Uh, yeah, and, I put I it mean, all in there, and put it so I was like, there, "Wow!" And she was brushing it aside like it was a hangnail. Exactly, and so my, well, of course, I don't know any better at that point. I thought she must be right. I mean, here she's a professor at school, and she's telling me this, and you know, maybe maybe that's what I should be doing. Maybe I should just be forgetting about this. Maybe I should just be shoving it away and not dealing with it. And so that's what I did. I shoved it away. And I basically talked myself into not thinking about it ever. <laughs> and so, it, it, I mean, in a sense, it made life easier, but in a sense it didn't because there are triggers all around, and people I don't think understand the amount of triggers that people who have been abused or assaulted see on a daily basis. But any can little trigger can... Can you share a little bit about, the, about um, that? Like what a certain song on the radio, a certain smell, you know, um, uh, TV show that comes on that reminds you of, I mean, it's just, there's so many things that can just be, just bring this stuff up in your head immediately. And it's difficult, especially when you're trying to shove it away. So everything that brings it back just makes it that much harder. Right. So, now, this is when you were in college, right? Yep. And yep. Um, so up until that point, um, and, and, and you had said earlier that, that you hadn't shared with anyone, you've kind of just stuffed it down in 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 yourself internally. Um right. had you had you sought therapy or had you thought about it? Um the only time I really consciously thought about therapy, I think I was thirteen and I was standing in my bedroom one day and I just looked at myself in the mirror and I don't remember what had happened before this 
occurred, but I, I remember looking at myself in the mirror and telling myself, you can't do anything about this. <laughs> You're basically stuck with what you've got right now, so deal with it. And as soon as you get out in the world and get on your own, you can get therapy and fix yourself. And that's the thought. I consciously remember that thought. I can, I can see myself in the mirror. And so I, I guess I thought when I went away to college, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to heal myself. And mm-hmm. it just didn't, but you <laughs> didn't, didn't go well once I got that advice. That. Right, that you couldn't heal. So just to kind of give us an idea, when 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 did your abuse abuse start and maybe end in terms of the longevity? Um, it started around around my tenth birthday, and it went on until I left for school. My goodness, so, that's just awful. And 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 very frequent. Fairly frequent, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And and you you. So you knew that you knew the perpetrator. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which I think made it made it harder um, to to know that if you do something about it, it's not just going to affect you. You know what I mean? If right. You say something. If you tell people, you know, the whole family and friends and your whole life is just going to go like completely in a direction you have no control over if you tell oh. somebody. So I'm so just, sorry you had to well, deal Sandy, with this burden. I can't imagine. Yeah. Sandy, do you think do you think the idea that most victims don't report is is possibly based on that? Is you know you kind of have to weigh the pros and cons of if I report this is going to happen and are the consequences worse than what I'm going through right now? Exactly, mm-hmm. and that's exactly the thought I had. And I think the only thing that would have made it different for me is had I thought someone else was being victimized, I would have come forward for someone else but not for myself. And I think I've seen that in a lot of victims that I've dealt with where, you know, they, they don't really want to come forward for themselves and they'll say, I don't want to do anything about this case, but, you know, if if he does this again, you know, you can call me and I'll help the next person. <laughs> and it's like that's not really the the best way to do it, but right. you, you can't, you know, a, a, a person has to do what they can do. And for me it was like I wasn't reason enough to go you didn't. No. You didn't have that self worth. I. I didn't. Exactly. I don't count as much. But if somebody, if somebody, it happens to somebody else, I will help them. Was that your mentality? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So, it's, and I think a lot of people feel that way, especially, especially people who have siblings who might also be being abused. Which, to my knowledge, isn't the case here um, with me. There wasn't anyone from my family that was. Um, being abused that I know about. I mean, I could always be wrong, I guess, but um, at the time and even now looking back, I don't think there was anyone else. Right. So well, it, and how can you be sure? But as as is typical with, with these situations, what what were the what were the family dynamics like during that time, and have ha, ha, have things changed or evolved or improved? Um. No, <laughs> not no. really. I mean, I, I don't. I'm pretty sure at this point my family knows things. Mm-hmm. I mean, they know something happened. I don't know that. I've never really shared details with anyone because it's just not necessary. I don't think. I mean, right. a therapist, yes, but not you know anyone else doesn't really need to know what happened. Um, so I, I didn't really share details. People, I I still haven't really told very many people. Now, a couple of people did find out, and word got around that didn't come out of my mouth, and it got back to people in my family, and my family was not happy with me for a while. I think they just kind of, we just don't talk about it now. It just doesn't, it just never comes right. up. It doesn't come up. It's not dealt with. Um, you know, I love What's my family, but the they're. Road, but, you, but you still have some communication with your family, though, right? Uh-huh. Not as often but, as I would like with some of them, but um, I think it's it's not only hard for me, I think it's hard for them because no one knows how to act around me. Sure. <laughs> so it's it, kind of like... It's got to have an awful impact. You told me something about, um, I think maybe when, or well, maybe it was during the summer and it coincided with your daughter going to college. Is that when you decided? Right. Well, this yeah. Is, when you I, tell us about that, that part of the story? Well, I had never told my youngest daughter anything that had happened to me. How and old are your daughters? Um, the oldest just turned 30 in September. She's a stepdaughter. And then the middle one just turned 26 um, 
what's today? The 12th, her birthday was Thursday. So she's 26 Thursday. And then my mm-hmm. youngest will be 18 in February. Okay. And so she's getting ready. You know, we, we were on a, a visit to colleges on spring break last year. Well, this year, but last school year. And we were driving all around to different schools and stuff. And I just remember thinking, I should tell her because that way she goes to school kind of armed with knowledge that everybody in this world is not good (laughs) because I kind of sheltered her from everything. I just never wanted her to know. I didn't want her to think about me differently or look at me differently. And so I hadn't said anything to her, but now I figure she's, she's going off to school. I wanted to understand that there are people you, you know, have to be careful around and that you can't trust. And I don't know why I was thinking, I just wanted to open her eyes and, and make sure she understood that, she needs to be careful, which is, I shouldn't have to tell her that, <laughs> is the way I feel, too. She shouldn't have to be worried about things like that, but in this life, you, pre- you pretty much are. So I we were in a hotel room, and I, I sat down, and I told her what happened. She just kind of looked at me like, what? <laughs> and then she was like, okay. How did you feel doing that? I mean, I, this I, it was time? really hard for me. I started crying, and she just kind of looked at me like, "What is going on?" <laughs> and then, as soon as I started talking, then she started crying. Then, then by the both by the time we were both done crying, it was kind of like, "Okay." I told her, "I said, if you have any questions, feel free to ask me. If if you know if anything comes up, you know, feel free to ask me anything you want to ask me. I don't have a problem telling you. And this is something I just wanted you to know." And she was like, "You know, thanks for telling me." And we really haven't talked about it since then. <laughs> I think she has a better understanding of me and you know, my whole situation, but mm-hmm. we, it's not something that we've talked about. Oh, Doctor, well, what was her immediate re- She was just incredulous that this happened, but was she, um, besides shocked, was she just very supportive and said, oh, oh my God, Mom, and and um, I'll, I'll be sure to be careful? I mean, knowing the young 20s, they kind of think they're invincible. Exactly. I mean, did it have an impact? Um, I think so. Think? I mean, I think because... You know, she grew up with cops as parents. Yeah. <laughs> she kind of has been exposed to more things than most kids would anyway based on the jobs that we do because she hears sure. the conversation around the house. She knows things that go on. So she's always been very um, observant, and she's always been very focused on things that go on around her, and I think she learned that from, you know, growing up in our house with us, and which is good. It keeps her aware of everything that's going on. And, you know, we we taught her to be very outspoken, and we taught her to basically, if anyone ever does anything to you that you don't like, you have the right to scream and holler and fight and kick and bite and whatever you can do. And we just gave her that permission because a lot of parents mm-hmm. don't give their kids permission to do that. So, you know, we gave her that permission. You don't ever have to let right. something happen to you that you don't want. And so I think right. she has that. She That's been instilled in her, you know, her whole life anyway. So I think this just made her right. m- maybe understand why that was instilled so deeply. <laughs> sure. Can you can you share a little bit about you know with the the how how did your husband take this and and maybe your coworkers? Um, well, my coworkers, if any of them are listening right now, they're probably their mouths are probably hanging open they're, because they're like, I think their mouths are hanging open. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're kind of like what? <laughs> um, uh-huh. Because there might be one or two that know um, that I leaned on not long after my daughter was born because all of this came to the forefront when I got pregnant. And, you know, when I got pregnant with my, well, it's kind of like your hormones get all screwed up and everything that you think you have a good handle on, you kind of lose (laughs) in pregnancy. And so with the emotions and the hormones and everything going crazy, it just became a hard time for me to deal with anything. And here I was pregnant and I thought, this is going to be a boy. I just kept telling myself, it's going to be a boy, it's going to be a boy, it's going to be a boy. I needed it to be a boy because it would be safer for me to have a boy, you know what I mean? I didn't have to worry so much about a boy, even though that's not true in my mind. That's what I was telling myself. And so mm-hmm. I got toward the end of my pregnancy. I guess it was around Christmas. She was born in February, so it was around Christmas. I went into, like, this major depression, and my husband was like, oh, my gosh, what you know? what is wrong with you? You need to go see someone. And so he knew about my abuse because when we first got together, we had talked about it, and um, he has – a lot of stuff in his family history also. So we kind of were like two kindred spirits, I guess. Your dysfunctionality in your family. Exactly. We did. I think we still uh-huh. do actually. I mean <laughs> we're both kind of dysfunctional and we get along great. So um <laughs> but you know, I, I told him still no details. I never told him details, just kinda of gave him an idea what was going on and he was fine with that and he never pushed me for any details and he was always very supportive and he always said, Whatever you want to do, whatever you need to do, you know, I've got you. Uh, you know, I'm right there with right. him. So, and he's he's been my biggest Wonderful. support. 
Yes, That's he's been great. amazing. So, I mean, everyone should be so lucky. I, I'm completely lucky that I have him and that he is the supportive person that he is. So, so but he, he tells me, pregnancy? go get help. Mm-hmm. Huh? How did you get through the pregnancy? Um, well, I went and uh, I went to a therapist a few times, and then before I actually um, had her, I had started seeing a therapist, and I'd gone probably three or four times before she was born, and I still hadn't told the therapist. And so oh. the first time I went after I had her and realized that she, because I didn't want, I could have found out. I had amnio. I could have known for certain what she was, and I didn't want to know because I just felt like if I knew any sooner that it wasn't a boy, I would have lost it. <laughs> so I didn't want to know, and that was mainly the reason. Uh, so when she came out and the doctor said, did you know what you're having? And I said, no. And he said, it's a girl. And I said, no, it's not. And he said, yeah, it is. <laughs> I was like, and you oh, panicked. here we go. You I, I did. Yeah. I panicked. And, um, so, you know, we came home with her and everything was was fine and you know, I was probably a little overprotective. Um and you know, rightfully so, and you know, my husband knew exactly what the deal was, so he was protective of her too around certain people. And so when oh, I just completely lost my train of thought. Hmm. Well, um with regard to uh, after your daughter was born, and the, did, did you continue to have therapy? I did. Thank you. That's where I was. Um, <laughs> I went back to my therapist once or twice after having her, and I still didn't tell her anything. I just kept telling her that, you know, I was angry, that I, I thought I was going to be a horrible mother. I was telling her anything I could except what the real issue was. And so I talked to my husband one night, and he said, you know what, you really need to tell her because – you're not getting anywhere if you're not honest. So I finally went back, and then I, I finally told my therapist, and it was like, then everything just kind of changed after that. And then I was in therapy for years and years and years. I ended up going on, you know, antidepressants, and and so, you know, I got myself straightened out, but it's, it was a slow, long process, and it nothing is quick about it. So if anyone is listening that's, you know, contemplating working on this, it can be done. It can definitely be done, and you can feel great when it's over, but it is hard work, and it can take a long time depending on how badly you fight yourself, which was probably my biggest problem. <laughs> well, how did you balance all this with the very high stress um, that you have with your job? I mean, I'm thinking, you know, sexual assault, domestic violence, hostage negotiation. How did, did you just kind of, um, you know, delve into your work like 100% so you didn't, it was just in the back of your mind? Yeah, and really for me, the best way to deal with my own issues is to help someone else. So it was probably mm, actually really, really good for mm-hmm. me. You know, you know, nurturing other people makes me feel better. So even if I still have issues, it makes me feel better to help someone else. So I think that's where my mentality was. You know, when I stayed, I, I was smart enough after I had her and I got really into therapy. I said, I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do these sex cases anymore. I got to get out of this. So then I went to burglary for three years <laughs> and then I got myself kind of straight with that. And then, you know, I tossed it over with my therapist and I was like, you know, do you think I could do this adult sex stuff? Because I, I really want to, and who knows when this position is going to come open again and it's open now and I really want it. And so she was like, well, go for it. You know, if it doesn't work out, you just leave. So I was like, yeah, true. <laughs> Very true. Mm-hmm. She made it so simple for me. I was like, okay. So I made the decision. I jumped in with both feet, and it actually went well. So, you know, it, so I felt like I had found my place. Differently? Did you feel differently about that, that type of position after having had therapy than, than, you know, before when you were kind of burying it? Um. I felt more able to help people. I think okay. one of the main reasons I had to leave working sex crimes before, I think that one of the main reasons I wanted to work in the youth unit and do that kind of work was because I felt the need to help people. And I, in the back of my mind, I think I knew what that professor had told me years ago was not correct, but I didn't know how to not have that mentality anymore of just forget it. And so I thought if I could fix other people, that would work great. And, and it was working until I got pregnant. And then everything just my world just kind of fell apart. Fell and, apart. Yeah, and I, and from what I understand and from what therapy has taught me, um, pregnancy is one of those things that triggers big time if you haven't dealt with issues. <laughs> and um, I'm living proof of that. But you know, it, it's it was good for me. 
and mm-hmm. it you know it was hard work for a number of years, really hard work. But you know there were a few people that that I could lean on. Um, you know, my husband, the biggest one, and then I happened to speak with someone at work one time. We were sitting. In, in the courthouse, they had a rule on witnesses for the case, so we all couldn't go in, and we were all sitting in the hallway, and I was talking to one of our advocates that works with sexual assault victims, and, you know, we were talking, and I, I don't know how it even came out. It just ended up coming out that, well, I was a victim, and she was like, really? <laughs> and she's just one of those people that's easy to talk to, and I didn't realize I was talking to her about it until it was out there. And so then we, um, you know, we we talked about it a few more times, and then she left the agency that she was working for, and she went to teach college. And so she said to me, um, you know, will you come talk to my class? And I said, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, I've never done, I've never said anything to anybody before outside of a therapist or, you know, my husband. I, <laughs> I don't know that I can do that. So she had us go, our whole sexual assault response team, who none of them knew what my deal was. Ooh. We, mm-hmm. Yeah, we went um, – to the class, and we talked to them about our sexual assault response team and how it works in Alexandria. And so they, her class was introduced to me as, you know, Detective Hine, you know, professional, law enforcement, deals with sex crimes. And then about a month later, I agreed to, to go back with her, and I went back and spoke to her class about my personal things. And when I first started talking, I just remember looking around, the, the faces in the room were probably like a lot of my Coworkers, if they're listening, faces are now mouths hanging open, like, "Wow, <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. that's not what they expected." And so, you know, that was the first time I'd ever put my story out to anybody like that, and it went very well. So, what well. did that my, experience say to you right then? It said that, that it's, it's okay. okay. I'm not. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not a horrible person. You know, people can still respect me for who I am in this job knowing that about me so you know although I still didn't come clean to the people that I worked with and I just thought you know (laughs) I'm just gonna keep that tidbit to myself and you know I don't really need to tell a lot of people about this but doesn't it doesn't it catch up to you in, in in other ways I mean not that we have to reveal everything in our entire lives to even our best friends but but this is something that is is very significant, is very personal, and it's it, it's it's not a good thing. It's not normal. So, you know, I would just think that even if you try to compartmentalize, it's got to take its toll. I mean, Delilah, I've been thinking about Susan Murphy Milano and some parallels there as Sandy has been talking. I mean, do, do you see that there's maybe some parallels with all of the trauma that she went through and she was very revealing about about everything and, and you end up paying a price in so many ways but then again there's there's um liberation and there's there's a healing part too by sharing so you know right. what what do you say there oh i totally agree with what you said and and you know from what i saw with susan there were a lot of things that she never made public until she wrote her last book and the stress of that, I, I, I totally believe the stress of that is something that, you know, when you have, when you have things in your childhood that are traumatic, it'll in your adulthood it opens you up for so many health-related problems that you never realize that you're even a candidate for, but they seem to find you. And I think something that another of our friends, Amy Sanagata, brought to the forefront was the fact mm-hmm. that, um, with like with the ACEs study, and it, it shows, and it there's a ten. I think there's like ten questions that if you answer the questions, it'll it'll tell you um, what percentage that you would have to later on risk. in your life be at risk. Yes. Right. So yeah, yeah that, there were a lot of true. things. Uh, yeah, and um, Sandy, um, have you? How has your? I mean, that kind of begs the question. How is your? Uh, besides your psychological, emotional health, how has your health been? Um, I've had times when things have been wrong, and I've had times when um, you know, I, I don't like to go to the doctor. That's a that's a I'm sure, a thing, from. Mm-hmm. 
my childhood. I hate to go to the doctor. My husband gets on me all the time. He's like, you need to go, you need to go, you need to go. Unless I'm dying sick and my temperature is like 104, you can't get me to the doctor. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I just, it's, it's a vulnerability that I don't deal well with. And, you know, being pregnant made that difficult too because people are poking and prodding on you all the time. And it's just like, you know, step away from me, please. <laughs> and it's, it's difficult. I don't like going to the dentist either. And I've heard that that's fairly normal with people who were assaulted. Sure. So, you know, so it is difficult to make myself, you know, and I'm better about it now than I used to be. I used to be absolutely horrid. And, you know, but now as I get a little older and as I, you know, feel a little better about myself and don't feel like I have to hide as much, I don't have so much of a problem going anymore. I remember the first time I went to the doctor, I think my daughter was five, maybe five or six, was the first time I ever told anyone in the medical profession what had happened to me. And her response was wonderful, so it made it easy. Now, had it been a doctor that was just like, the professor was in college, I don't know what would have happened. But I did I did have a very, you know, a, a doctor that was very responsive to me and basically, you know, made sure to explain everything that was going on to me and, didn't, you know, <laughs> basically treated me with, with kindness and respect when I, you know, when I told her what the deal was. So, but I, I, I know there are probably people that don't have that experience and that's sad, but I was lucky. Well, that's the kind of experience we want to have. We want to have doctors like that. And if we don't have those doctors as our primary care or, or whatever, then we need to find someone that we can um, have that kind of rapport. But, you know, all these years later, you have never had another conversation with this quote-unquote professor, correct? No. Um, no. Nope. <laughs> if you had that opportunity, what would you say to that person today? I think... I guess basically you should think twice before you put your advice out there because you don't know where someone's head is. You know, had I been at a point in my life then where I had been suicidal or, you know, more apt to hurt myself than I already had been, who knows what would have happened. You know, there and I don't know, I think I have a certain fortitude and when I was in therapy my my therapist said she would love to know why some people who are victimized go in one direction and some people go in another direction. You know, mm-hmm. I went with with be a good girl because if I go to school, I get positive attention. I don't need negative attention. I, I kind of made myself be like the perfect child and, you know, get good grades and do the right thing and be nice to everybody. That's how I was. Some people go the other direction. You know, some people get right. promiscuous. Some people go to drugs. Some people, do, I didn't do that. I went, luckily for me, somewhere inside, I decided to go for positive you know, things instead. Right. And everybody doesn't have that fortitude. So Right, and being resilient, that I mean that that is a topic that comes up with many, many of our shows and I know I'm a prime example of that too after fifty nine surgeries and a homicide and all of that. So right. I, you know, I, I'm as you know, you're talking about how did you self protect. So that's that's what you did. You you focused on trying to find those environments where you would get positive attention and right. get out of the home environment or wherever it, it occurred as much as possible. I mean, right. were you involved yeah. in other other activities as a child, as a distraction from the other stuff um, that was going on or, or what was going well, on? Well, I did. I, I did majorettes when I was little. I started when I was four, and I, I guess I did that till I was about 12. And then I started dance class when I was nine. And so mm-hmm. by the time I was 12 or 13, you know, my mom was close friends with my dance instructor, and so she picked me up after school every Wednesday and took me to the school where she taught, and I helped her teach her classes on that night, and then I went back for my classes the following night. So I got I got into that, and right, right then was when I realized this is kind of cool because the, the school that we went to wasn't in the most – highly economic area and so I helped out some of these young girls who didn't really have any self esteem and that that helped me feel better about myself. Look at me, look at this positive stuff I'm doing. You know? And right. so it was like giving back this positive stuff and that made me feel good about myself, which if I hadn't had that, I mean, I think if you can't find any way to feel good about yourself, it's 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 not gonna then go you may well. Be suicidal. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Or right. Uh, that that is so very important. Um can we talk a little bit about we've uh, a little bit about uh, we've got about fifty minutes or so just to let you know mm-hmm. um, what the sort of uh, image of invincibility 
of um, becoming a police officer, and I think you shared before we went on the air um, the fact that, you know, um, with all of the bad press about police officers, this kind of played into um, why is it that you you wanted to come on Shattered Lives and tell this show. And by the way, I have to say publicly, I am very honored and, that you would trust us with this topic and, and and just am very pleased that you um you chose to do this and I think you're very brave and I, I totally Thank respect you. what you're doing and you know, you're 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 just a great person. So, thank you, thank you so much for, thank for you. letting us letting us share this nationally because not only may it help you, uh, and I hope it will, it will be on the archives for many times. So, as hard as this hour is maybe for you at this mm-hmm. point in time, you may go back and listen to it later and think, oh well, I did it, and it's it's beneficial for many others. So, kudos I to hope. you, Sandy. Kudos <laughs> That's the to goal. you. You know, right. so what? Uh, I digress there a little bit, but what? <laughs> what do you want to say about about you know being a police officer with regard to this and your how it all figured into the equation about doing the show? Um, I think people misunderstand police officers and they don't see them as real people. And I think if they knew some of the backgrounds of some of the police officers and why they go into law enforcement to start with, there would not be these questions and this hate toward them because, you know, probably a good 95% of police officers have very noble reasons for going into law enforcement. And, you know, I was one of those people. My husband was one of those people. You know, we just, we wanted to make a difference. We wanted to help people. Now, there are bad people in every profession, (laughs) and that's what I try to tell my kids in school. There are bad police officers. There are also bad teachers, bad doctors, bad lawyers. I mean, there are bad people everywhere, but you can't take one incident and associate everybody with that as an overall view of that profession. And, you know, a lot of police officers that I know have things in their background that led them into law enforcement that were less than fortunate things that happened to them. And, you know, they used their way of overcoming it was going, you know, back and helping people, was was going into law enforcement and trying to make a difference. And, you know, I think if people kind of had the thought in their head that they don't know where this law enforcement officer has been and what their past is, maybe they'd be a little more open-minded in dealing with them and understanding why they do the job they do and how every police officer is not out to go out every night and pull their gun out and kill somebody. That's not – in fact, that's the furthest – thing from their mind the the goal is that you go your entire career without having to take your weapon out i mean it's rare in the area that i live in but you know you do have to pull your weapon out on people occasionally and you hope they do what you tell them to do so you can put it away and you know that's the goal and people don't understand that people think that oh you have a gun you have all this power you're going to go out and do whatever you want well no truthfully most of us never want to take our gun out we don't want to have to take our gun out mm-hmm. it's a last well, it's a last resort Given the situation as it is with all of these high-profile cases continuing to happen, and we we just had the uh, Baltimore Guardian Angels on last week again, and I think, uh, Delilah, am I correct? They said they have over 300 homicides this year alone. And um, (coughs) given that scenario, and not that, you know, you're trained not to be forthcoming about your personal life or, uh, you know, bringing out your skeletons, what how can we how can we make people be more understanding so that it's not all about Freddie Gray or whatever and I'm just using that as an example right you know um so how can we make them be more understanding of the police I don't know I think back you know I've been a police officer well I'm not now but I was a police officer and I got hired in August of 1989 and I remember thinking there were not a lot of people that liked the police in the early 90s. <laughs> and then as the 90s went on, it was kind of like, okay, it's becoming okay to be a police officer again. And then it kind of, with every incident, something happens, it goes downhill for a while. And probably the, the and I don't want to say the best time in law enforcement because it really sounds awful, but after 9-11, people loved the police. You know, they looked at us as protectors because that's what we are. And, you know, they saw us for what we were. But then as soon as one incident happens that shines any kind of negative light on one officer in one city, every, everybody gets looked down on. So, it's kind of like I don't. I wish I had the answer. I honestly wish I had the answer as to how, you know, we can garner some more respect for the police, because everything that positive that we do, 
doesn't always get mentioned. But every time a police officer does something wrong, it's plastered everywhere. So Right. It should be the opposite. It should yeah. be the opposite, but, you know, I mean, and, and that's the way it is. When people turn on the news, they don't want to hear, you know, rose petals and sunshine. They want to hear the, the, the gritty what's going on. So uh, the, the media really doesn't help <laughs> the situation at all because they tend to put these sensational stories out there, and it's what gets them the ratings, but it's also what causes problems too. You know what I'm saying? And and right. I think some of them realize that, and they're doing more positive you know, you see a positive thing every now and then about, oh, look at this police officer that did this, and it's really good, and everyone says, oh, isn't that great? And the next day it's like officer-involved shooting in, you know, wherever city, and then it's back to negative again. So, and, and I think it's just, I'm, I'm hoping it's kind of like a phase and it will wear off a little bit because you can go a while and you don't really hear anything negative about the police, and then all of a sudden it's it all comes up again, and I think the last two years have been really just it's an awful time. It's an awful yeah. time, and it's hard for me to teach at the school and, and all these kids saying they want to be police officers, and I'm thinking to myself, I, this is not a time I would want to be in law enforcement. Mm. Is, that you know, they get ambushed is that and, what you're getting, that, that, that they're saying even now with all this turmoil that they do want to be a police officer? Yes, there are some kids that that is exactly what they want to do, and they're gung-ho about it, and they want to be a police officer, and, they, and for all the right reasons. So there are people out there who still see it as a noble profession, and some of them are high schoolers at my school. You know, they they – find respect with law enforcement and they you know they they want to go out there and they want to do a good job and they want to be a police officer and you know <clears throat> and uh, more power to them <laughs> it's it's scary you know i'm kind of glad my daughter doesn't want to do it because i think that i would i would probably have an issue with that at this point so you know, they're not romanticizing to, it or the glory of a look at this i'm going down in a in a hail of bullets or anything they're doing it for the right reasons the, the, yeah they're the doing it for the right reasons they're doing it because it's it's does. a noble profession and it's a, you know it's what they want to do it's it's you know to make they're proud of the fact that they want to do that and it makes me feel good because i'm thinking that's how it should be you know that's how you should be that's how, in any profession that you go into it should be something that you really want to do and you want to do it all for the right reasons and for right. most police officers that's how it is you know, it's a very small mm-hmm. percentage of police officers that are in this profession for the wrong reasons, you know. Mm-hmm. And and there's some sure. of them that maybe shouldn't be in the profession because they're just not the right kind of person because there's a certain kind of personality you have to have to survive in the job. You know, not everybody can do it. Definitely. And you you are certainly, uh, you know, an example, and you've tried many, many things. What is, um, in terms of your abuse and, and the road to healing, I mean, it, it sounds like it's a progressive thing. Um, do you feel like you have more work to do? And, and what's in your future with regard to even getting better, healthier? What 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 do you plan to do or continue um, the course? Yeah, well, I've, I've toyed with writing a book. Um, back when I was in therapy, my therapist said, you should write a book. <laughs> you should write a book. You should write a book. And And there are a lot of books out there about – um, survivors and things like that, and just I don't like the word survivor. I mean, it's a good word. Don't get me wrong, but for me, mm-hmm. it doesn't end there. I mean, right. if you call yourself a survivor, it's like you're done now. I survived. I'm done. I'm not. That's not where I'm at. Um, and I think a therapist said to me once, you know, you, and don't just survive, thrive. And when you thrive, yes. you know, you're, you're you're doing good things. And then so my my feeling is like I want to be a warrior for this. I'm not just a survivor. I'm out there. I'm gonna fight to make this you know, to make a difference in this whole thing. And I, and I don't really know what that entails at this point. <laughs> um, well, you've I'm done hoping talking here thing. today is, is a good step. Thing today. Yes, <laughs> yes, I, I think you have. Delilah, do you, do you think that every person going through or uh, this kind of experience needs to write a book to, to uh, for this? Is, is that the end-all, beat-all, or is it, I mean, I, you've dealt with many, many authors. What do you... What, what's your take on this? Well, I think it's an individual choice. I I don't think, you know, I don't think you can just paint a broad brush and say this will be good for you because for some people it's not going to be good for them. It's not going to be good for their psyche or, you know, mentally right. or physically. So I think each person has to make that decision based on on their experience and, you know, what they're looking for and what they're looking to get out of a book. Um, right. You know. And I think for me, the, the the message I would want to get across is that it doesn't have to be a torturous thing. I mean, I've <clears throat> I have a really good sense of humor, and um, 
I think that has helped me. Humor has been like my saving grace my entire life, just being able to laugh mm-hmm. at myself and laugh at everything around me and, and find right. humor in funny things. And that's, you know, anytime I've thought about putting words on paper, it's been not satirical, but, you know, it's kind of been like uh, finding humor in things and being able to laugh at yourself and not necessarily laugh at what happened to you, but find your way to laugh getting through the healing part of it because that's really what helped me the most. You know, and right. Well, there are other alternatives. In fact, we have a, a colleague that's doing an anthology series uh, called Grief Diaries, and it's it's a matter of loss through many different things, whether it be homicide, suicide, loss of a parent, and all of those. For I, I don't know if they have that for uh, this particular issue. I would think that perhaps, uh, but maybe maybe that's an avenue to pursue. And I'm sure if, if you feel that it's the right thing, that that you will do it. But, you know, I just have to say that I, I'm so proud of, of, of what you're doing here. I think it's, I think it's very courageous and a, 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 really, good, a really good public service uh, for, for a lot of people. What, what, is it, um, what is it in our last five minutes that you would like to um, share with people as your overall message? Or is there something that we need to take away now? or something you want to tell the listening audience, especially those people listening in surprise? What do you want to tell them? <laughs> um, <laughs> that it's you okay, aren't, I'm still Sandy? Huh? That it's okay, I'm still Sandy? Yeah, it's, it's, I'm still me. I'm, I'm, there's nothing different about me. I'm still the same person. This has been me the whole time. Um, you know, my past is not who I am, but, you know, what I've chosen to do with it is more important, I think. I think that, you know, had I wished that none of this ever happened to me, absolutely. No one wants to, you know, think that they want things like this to happen. Nobody wants negative things to happen to them. But if I had not have gone through this, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. So, you know, while it's upsetting that it happened to me, it molded who I am. And I feel, you know, I can say this now. I couldn't say it even maybe a few years ago, but I feel pretty good about who I am right now. So, well, that's you know, good. I haven't always felt like that. So. You know, but I, I feel good about who I am right now, and, and times have been rough, and, it's, and the healing was hard, and by no means do I think I'm finished, because I don't think you ever completely finished, um, right. you know, working on yourself. I don't think you should be. I think you should always try to, you know, evolve and get better. So, you know, but I'm still basically the same me. <laughs> and, well, you know, that's great. Uh, can you just tell us very briefly, was was there consequences for the perpetrator? No, it was never never reported nothing was ever done so and you don't yeah. you don't think that that's going to occur and would it really at this point where you've come in your pro- healing process would would that make uh, a difference to you no i've never based my own healing on what would happen or not happen to to that person it just doesn't that's not the important part of it. I, I want to focus more on me and what I can do to be better, not focus on revenge and make that person miserable. It's just not, that's not what would work for me. It might, might work for some people, but it's not what would work for me. I think I, that's that's so healthy, and that's 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 the right way to go. Thank you so much. Um, Delilah, do you have any parting thoughts? Well, I just want to thank um, Sandy for her courage to come on to the show and, yes. and discuss this and I, I really want to thank you so much because I think it's going to be very beneficial to listeners and your story is actually you know, probably going to help a lot more people than we will ever know about I hope so yeah and I hope you will keep in, keep in touch with us um, because perhaps there's something in, in the future that we, we might want to do Another show on, or at least, you know, keep me up to date on what you're doing. And, you know, we wish you all the best in your teaching career. It sounds like you're making some really good inroads with those students, and that's so impactful and that's so important. Awesome. You know? Thank you. <laughs> so keep keep loving life and keep being courageous, and we're, we're very, very glad to have you as part of the Shattered Life family. Okay, Sandy? Awesome. It's been great being here. Thanks so much. All righty. So, all right. So, With that, we're going to sign off for today's episode. Stay tuned for the next show, and everyone have a wonderful uh, Saturday and wonderful weekend until next time. Thank you, Delilah.